So here we are, 2 Chronicles 26, and we're on Judah's king number 10. Here we go. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, God has helped, 16-year-old kid, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elith and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Okay, that seems kind of like an aside, but I thought it was worth showing you. His kingdom here was everything in green and yellow. If you're looking at what Solomon had before the kingdom split, today, modern-day Israel is just what you see in the green. It's, it's uh, territory is greatly reduced. But down here where you see the red circle at the very southern part of the nation of Judah, clear over here by the top of Africa where Egypt is, that's where uh, this city Elith was that he restored. All right, so let's see what else it has to say about him. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. Okay, we've already covered that. That was in 2 Kings. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. That was the priest. So he's got this Bible teacher who's saying, okay, this is what Torah says, and this is what we're supposed to be doing to kind of keep the king on track. Interesting statement there. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And don't forget his name, Uzziah or Azariah. It means God has helped. Okay, good enough. Then we keep going. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabney, and Ashdod. Well, those were Philistine cities that were kind of over on the east coast by the Mediterranean Sea. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. That sounds kind of like colonialism, doesn't it? He goes in and he, he occupies those territories that were uh, filled with the Philistines that were idol worshipers. God helped him. I thought that was interesting since his name means God has helped against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal and against the Mayanites. Wow, God's given him a lot of success. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. Wow. So it's not just that they didn't dare bother him and they weren't sending their armies over to try and fight him. They're subjugated. And so at the end of every year, they send probably big carts or caravans of camels or however they travel full of things that they were going to pay him. They couldn't pay by check back then or have money wired into the bank of Judah. And so they brought bags of gold or silver or whatever it was that he was demanding, paid tribute. And his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. This word powerful gets used three times in this description in 2 Chronicles 26 of him. So while we're on the subject here, I wanted to show you, here's Ammon. Remember that those were the descendants of Lot by his own daughter. You remember that story? We've talked about it before. 
And that's over on this eastern side. Over on the western side by the Mediterranean Sea, you have this string of Philistine cities. So he's not only gone to war against them, he sent some of his own people and he said, you make a town near there and you occupy that. So powerful. Okay, tell us what else this man did in 52 years. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. That sounds like infrastructure to me. Today, we, we learned this past week about a bipartisan bill that was passed recently for more infrastructure for the United States. So forward-thinking leaders are thinking, okay, now we got to keep up our roads and our highways and our federal buildings and all the different things that go into making the towns and communities of a nation. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns, more infrastructure, because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. Does this sound like prosperity and success to you that King God has helped is enjoying? He's pretty powerful. Things are going his way. He had people working in his fields and vineyards. So let me see, livestock, fields, and vineyards. He's an agricultural king, and he's really emphasizing the, the breadbasket for the people and also the animals that are going to be used for sacrifice and for meat in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. You see what a smart and sort of... Um, well-balanced man he was, and he had leadership skills. Uzziah had a well-trained army, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers, as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Maaseah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war. A powerful, did you hear that word again? Powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Wow, this king God has helped sure does have everything going for him, doesn't he? God has helped, provided Spears and shields, helmets, coats of armor, bows and sling stones for the entire army. Okay, so he's outfitting the military and he's emphasizing building up the military. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers. Invented? Does that sound like science and technology to you? Does that sound like R&D to you, research and development? Wow, this guy was really all about seeing the big picture and, and doing everything to be an effective leader. And on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. He wants progress. He wants, to, he wants the newest and latest designs in military hardware. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became, and here's that word again, powerful. And why was he powerful? Because God had helped. Someone even painted a picture of the technological advances on the tops of those towers for military. And so this particular drawing is supposed to be one of those, um, I don't know what you would call it. Is it a troublecock they call those things? Catapult, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you put the, the rock in the sling and it's like a giant hand that throws it. 
Okay, so just to summarize, and where are we going with this, do you suppose? We have his successes. I mean, you can make a long list, military successes, and he's got, he's got the nation of the Ammonites subjugated, and he's occupied Philistine territory, and he's developing things, and he's got all kinds of farming going on and moving forward. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Oh, you know, he's moving up and up and up and up, and he's doing better and better and better, and he's more famous and more powerful, and he's reached the zenith of his reign, and then it kind of goes to his head. Maybe he forgets that his name is God has helped, and he starts to think, I've done a pretty good job on my own. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Okay, this was a disaster. You know, they had all of these prescriptions for exactly how the worship was to take place in the temple because the temple wasn't a church with pews where you go in and sit down and listen to the word. The temple was the place where the priests that were descended from Levi were supposed to do their special worship. And they had ways of doing it and men who were allowed to do it under the authority of Torah. But he gets too big for his britches and he figures, well, I'm king. I think I'll just do that myself. So he just walks boldly right into the holy place where they burn incense every day. Well, Azariah the priest is absolutely horrified when he sees the king push those doors open and start in. And he gets 80 other Levites with him and he courageously confronts this prideful king. So there they are going after him. Oh, look, the king, he's gone into the holy place. Come on, help me. Let's get it. We, I know it's, I don't know what we're going to say. We've got to do this. Come on, let's go. And so they all go in and they're on the right side of the law. And they confronted King Uzziah and said, it's not right for you, King Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. Well, when somebody's all full of pride, and they get confronted and told they're wrong, sometimes they don't take it so well. They kind of get their back up, you know, and they get irritated. And so Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, you know, because he was in there to burn incense like the priests, a censer in his hand ready to burn incense became angry. Who do you think you are telling me what to do? I'll have you know I'm the king, a descendant of David, while he was raging at the priests. So he's just, yin, 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 I'll tell you, it's my decision. In their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. That happened to Miriam, Moses' sister, one time when she stepped over the line and assumed authority that wasn't hers. Maybe you remember that from when they were out in the wilderness. And so... You know, the priests were kind of in the middle of all this blowback from the king, and it was hard to be getting griped out. 
But all of that gets interrupted when they notice this leprosy appearing on his forehead, which is a type of sin, and which back then was a death sentence, and it meant a long, slow death, and you're probably going to be deformed, lose the tip of your nose and your ears and maybe your fingers and toes. Horrible bacterial infection. So leprosy breaks out on his forehead, and they react. You know, he probably didn't see or feel when it came on, but when it does and they see it, they go, (gasps) and he watches them react, and he knows they're not reacting to what he's saying. So when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they said, King, your forehead. And he, <gasps> and then he has some of the wind taken out of his sails. They saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Now he's as humble as can be, and they grab a hold of his arms, and they turn him around, and they help him walk to the door. And he thinks, what have I done? Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Well, of all people, Rembrandt painted this in 1635. It's called The Leper, King Uzziah. You probably can't tell it from back there, but he has leprosy on his face. And notice how he's holding his hand. Do you see that he's got one hand inside another so you wouldn't be able to tell if his fingers were stumps? He can hide that hand that just looks like a ball now because the fingers have come off from his leprosy. How sad. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. So he lost his glory. I guess you could say it was because of idolatry. It wasn't that he was worshiping idols, except he was the idol. It was all about him. He forgot that his name meant God has helped. And then 2 Chronicles 26 wraps it all up. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors, buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. But I'm not done here because that would be a downer of a way to end the quarter. Okay, Uzziah rose to great power and glory, and the Lord blessed him, and then pride led to his downfall, and he went down and down and down and down, and then he died, and then he was underground. Oh, boy. But then that that same prophet that we're reading about, Uh, was it the previous slide there? All right there. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, mentioned. He has another vision to tell you about in Isaiah 6, and oh, how wonderfully heartening it is. So you go to Isaiah 6, and Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, You know this famous passage, right? And we kind of blow off the first phrase, but let me see. Uzziah was way up here and he got lower as he got older. He got lower and lower and the leprosy progressed and he couldn't be around anybody and he lost his power because his son had to be in charge because his son was the one that was able to meet with people. And then finally, he got so old and so sick and 
so feeble and celebrous that he died. And then they took his dead body and they put it in a grave. And that was the end of that king. So, you know, the king that was low and brought down Uzziah, in the same year that that guy died, I, says Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. What does that mean? Does God wear clothes? I thought God was a spirit. So he has a vision of heaven and it's a temple after which the model of Solomon's temple was fashioned according to the information that we have in both New and Old Testament. So he gets a vision of this and he sees God the Father and he's got on a robe. Reminds me of when you have a real fancy wedding and it's maybe in the late evening and it's very formal and the bride's dress is so formal that it has this long train on it. And sometimes when it's a uh, royal wedding, the train is so long that they'll get little kids to carry the train behind the, the woman, remember? It's a symbol of glory. So the Lord has this symbolic robe somehow, and the glory of that fills up the entire temple. Let's see, are you seeing a contrast here? There was this one king who got too big for his britches that was just a human being that only lasted 52 years. And he was going down and down and down and down. And then he was dead and he was buried. And at the same time, Isaiah is seeing this picture of the real king. And he's high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Seraphim means burning one. And maybe that was a reference to their purity. And with two wings, they covered their faces. Maybe that's because the intensity of his glory was so great. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds, shook and the temple was filled with smoke what there's smoke in heaven you mean there's air in heaven this is all symbolic this is a spiritual vision of the wonder and the glory and the power and the might of the real king all of those kings all of those years because the people had begged for a monarch they kept dying so they kept having to replace each other but they were leading on a one-way street to the Messiah, God in the flesh, who's gonna be our king and who is our king. And the first thing that strikes Isaiah when he sees this vision is, oh, I'm unholy. Woe to me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar and touched it to his mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You know, because he was humble, that's been painted a lot of times. But here in this vision, you can see that they are symbolizing the power and presence of God with the you see the Ark of the Covenant back there? 
because they didn't know how to draw God the Father, so they drew the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize his glorious presence. Oh, so wonderful. Holy, holy, holy. Could that be symbolic of the Trinity? Three holies? I mean, why did they have to say it three times? And if they were going to say it three, why not 10 or 20 or 5,000? Three. The three in one. And then you go to Revelation 4, and you have another vision of God and his holy temple that was given to John. And here again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give honor and glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. Can you see the 24 elders, 12 on one side and 12 on the other, and those four mysterious creatures in the front and the rainbow around God's glory and the father in the middle there and those Elders lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy. You are worthy. Where did that one go? Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. So we can learn from Uzziah's mistake and not make that and humble ourselves before him and say, this is our God. He is so great. Reminds me of what it says in Psalm, 1 Chronicles 16 and Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Repeat it again here. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth. So the monarchy in Israel mm, didn't work out so well, except that it started a line that went through unfaithful Uzziah and some others clear to the very end where it wound up being the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who is going to reign forever. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 